You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, The New You. This series attempts to capture the essence of the new life given to us by Jesus, one not mastered by mistakes of the past, but a life of ultimate joy, peace, and freedom. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Uh, it is great to be together this morning again. If, you're, uh, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we're at the end of our series called The New You. And uh, really, this series was, was really designed for uh, either those who maybe you're new to the Christian faith or uh, just looking into the Christian faith. Maybe you, fell, you were a Christian at one point in life, you kind of fell away, and now you're kind of looking back into things. This, this series really was designed for you uh, because it, what we're looking at is, is this idea that although we were one once not with God, we are now with God in Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. And so uh, this whole idea of being a new person is an idea that we, uh, we didn't just come up with that. We got that from the Bible. And uh, when a religious leader came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what do I have to do to get into heaven? Jesus said, well, you have to become a new person. And becoming a new person meant that you needed to be born a second time. And, uh, you know, this guy comes to Jesus and he's like, what do you mean be born a second time? Uh, like I can't go back to my mom and kind of have her do it over again. I'm older and larger now and I don't think she would like that. And uh, Jesus is like, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that you have to be born spiritually. You know, when you're born physically, that was a physical birth. But now you need to be born of a spiritual kind of birth. And that's the kind of birth that we're talking about when we say you're a new you. I was at the uh, hospital this last week. We've had uh, quite a few people having babies here in the Jubilee community and even see a few this morning here and just love those little smiling, sometimes not smiling faces uh, with us. And if you've ever been to the hospital in the, I think it's NICU maybe, is the, the baby center is what I call it. And um, it's a little frightening at times. It really is, especially if you're uh, possibly of the male orientation, you may be frightened by little things that are like six pounds that, you, you know, if you drop, it's bad. And, um, you know, I'm used to playing sports. So I played football and baseball and I tried basketball, but you have to be athletic for that one. So they wouldn't let me. And, um, and you know, I, you, you, if you drop the ball, like it's a bad play, but you get to play again. If you drop a baby, that's like whole new ball game. And, uh, you know, it's this whole idea of becoming a new person in Christ. Uh, what the Bible says is that we're like that when we're born again. When, when you're born of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, you are like a newborn baby. And in the same way that when you were physically born, you needed to be born in a hospital where you could be cared for and nurtured and make sure everything was okay with you and that you started off healthy and then you needed to be, you needed to come home to a family that could care for you and train you and raise you and feed you and wipe you and all those things. In the same way, in the spiritual sense, when you're born of a spiritual nature, you need to have people around you who can care for you and nurture you. Otherwise, in the same way that the baby wouldn't do so well if it was by itself, spiritually, as believers, we wouldn't do so well if we were by ourselves. And the, the Christian church was really birthed on uh, the day of Pentecost, which if you're familiar with your Bibles, it's in Acts chapter 2. And 120 Christ followers are together, and uh, they're praying and worshiping, pr pr probably pretty similar to how our meeting was this morning. It says, the Spirit of God came upon those believers, and the Spirit of God began filling those believers, and uh, an earthquake came into place, and something like a mighty rushing wind flew through that place, and then tongues as of fire descended on every person, which I would like to see how that looks, but I haven't yet. And 
uh, it says that all the people around took notice and they came near to see what was happening. And uh, this skittish man named Peter, who just recently had rejected Jesus three times, stands up and proclaims to this crowd, this is not what you think it is. Because some in the crowd were saying, these people are drunk. Like, they're crazy. They're talking in different languages and no one can understand them. And they're kind of acting weird. Other people were saying, that's a little too early in the day for them to be drunk. It must be something else. And Peter, this skittish man, stands up because he's just been filled with the Holy Spirit and he proclaims to these people what's happening. And what he says is that Jesus who you hung on the cross, that Jesus who you rejected, that Jesus who you said had, had, had sinned against God himself and deserved punishment on the cross, he died. Yes, you killed him. But then he rose again and he has poured out this which you're seeing. This is the work of Jesus. And it says on that day, 3,000 men and women came to Christ and believed in him for the first time. And in the midst of all that excitement and all that craziness, I'm sure Peter and his buddies were like, yes, 3,000. But I'm sure they were also a little bit like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with 3,000 little babies? You mothers, if you had one, you probably know. That's a lot. If you had two at once, you know that was a lot, a lot. If you've had like three or four, you know, triplets, quadruplets, you're like, I'm never doing that again. 3,000 in one day came in. And the question that they had to have had on their mind is, what are we going to do to make sure that these young, new, little baby Christ followers, what are we going to do to make sure they grow up to be mature, godly men and women? And Acts 2.41 gives us our answer. It says, and 3,000, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. Notice that word added. What that word tells us is that God's plan for every single Christian, for you and I, is that we not only be saved into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but that we be added to a Christian family. And those families are called churches. And there's a global church which expands across the face of the earth, and there's local churches. Just like there's one big family in Christ across the earth and there's local families. And David, King David, he was passionate about seeing Christians not go at it alone. He was passionate about seeing them planted into the household of God with other believers. In Psalm 92.3, he explains that a tree, see he describes Christians as trees. He says trees should be planted in the house of God of the Lord. They shouldn't be planted out there in a desert by themselves where God isn't present and other Christ followers aren't present. No, no, no. They should be planted in the house of the Lord. They should be in mighty forest with other Christ followers so that they can grow up to be big and strong. This is what he says happens to a Christian who does that. He says that they will be majestic and stable and upright and durable and useful and fruitful. Do you want your Christian life to be like that? Do you want your Christian life to be majestic and stable and upright and durable and useful and fruitful? If you do, then the answer for you is to get plugged in, not only to Christ. Yes, it must be to Christ, but to his local family as well, because it's in the context of relationships together that we really grow up in him. But the question comes, you know, what is the church? Like, is the church a building that I go to on a Sunday morning? Is it uh, just a service on Sundays for an hour and a half? Like, that's my church? Or is church an organization that you sign up for? Is it like the fitness club where you go and you pay your dues and you sign the, you know, the, you sign the contract that says, yes, I'll do this for a year? 
Is it like that? Is it, I've heard people say, you know, my church is outdoors. Like my church is in the wilderness because I just love being in the woods and I connect with God there. Or uh, others would say my church is the mountaintop or my church is in front of the ocean. I just, if I can get out in nature, then that's my church. I, I mean, I'm with those guys. I love being out there. I love connecting with God's presence there. I love these Sunday meetings, but is that really what church is? I think church is so much, so much more than that. And these verses that Patrick read for us from Ephesians 2, I think give us a beautiful description of what the church is. If you've still got your Bible open, you can turn there. I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. It should be on the screen for you as well. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. Paul writes, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I think there's three major things that we see in this passage about the church that we can draw out from. There's three things that we see here, but the, the thing that overarches all of them is that the church is first and foremost a people and not anything else. It's not an organization. It's not a building. It's not a service. The church is a group of people who are connected into Christ Jesus. What it says is that you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. That's what the church is. My wife and I, we recently went to uh, Canada, and we were just there for a couple days. Uh, really beautiful in Canada. But when we were crossing the border, we were coming up on it. It's a little intimidating if you uh, haven't done that before. I've never traveled internationally like that. And, um, you know, I come up to the border, and I've got my passports. I'm kind of hoping, like, you know, this, was, this passport is pretty old, and I've got a beard now, and this guy may not, he may think I'm, like, smuggling something, or and I handed my passport. I'm like, good morning. He says, what is your, what's the purpose for your trip in Canada? I'm like, uh, I'm just going on vacation with my wife. And he's like, how long are you going to be there? When did you leave? Where did you go from? Where are you going to? I'm like, oh my gosh, man, I'm sorry. I thought he was mad at me, but he's, just, he's guarding his country, right? Because I'm a stranger in Canada. I'm not from Canada. He has to make sure that, okay, this dude's legit if I'm going to let him in to my country. And we get there and we're talking to people and people speak French. And I'm like, I don't speak French. You know, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a strange man in this place. I, I'm bigger than most of them. And uh, they dress nicer than me and they eat better food than me. And uh, they talk differently from me. And so I just kept saying, you know, bonjour. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, this, I have one line in French that I learned in high school because I thought, if I ever go to France, I'll need this one. It was Jem de Biscuit. It means I love cookies. And I was just hoping, you know, like, it could also mean I love biscuits. And so I thought, if I go to France, somebody will feed me. And that's, I'm happy. I'm a happy man if somebody feeds me. And they get the general idea of what I'm looking for, you know. So uh, that's all I knew. And like Paul's writing to in this letter, because who he's writing to is Jews and Gentiles. And uh, if, you, if you're familiar with your Bible, familiar with the story of God's people, Jews were this people that would have thought they were the in crowd with God. 
They were the people that they were close to the knowledge of Christ. And when he came, they were going to be the ones who recognized him. Gentiles were the ones who were far away from the knowledge of God. They were the ones who, when Christ came, everyone would think the Gentiles wouldn't notice him because they don't know about him. And the promises of God, which you see in the Old Testament, the first half of your Bible, those promises would have been unfamiliar to the Gentiles, but the Jews would have known them by heart. Because to them, the Messiah or the Christ who was coming was their God. So we talk about being a new community of people on the earth and no longer being strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of God's household. We're talking about something significant. Because what we're talking about is, are we the people of God or are we another kind of people? And in this context of this letter, Paul has just written about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's written about the good news of the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And he's written, and and, and just a few verses earlier, in verse 17, he says, And he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who are far off. He's talking to the Gentiles. Because in this church, the Jews and the Gentiles had this tendency to divide. And their cultural history would have forced them to do so, similar as it would be to maybe if you were raised in, a diff- in this neighborhood versus this neighborhood. Or in St. Louis, if you went to this high school or this high school or this high school, what high school did you go to? It would be, it'd be similar to these kind of racial, cultural barriers that we face today. And what Paul's writing in his letters, he's saying it's not to be like that in the church. Although there were two kinds of people, now there's one kind of person and he's a new man in Christ. And he's preaching to these Ephesians, through his, to these men and women in Ephesus through his letter. And he's saying, for through him, Jesus, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Because he came and he preached peace to you who are far off. And he preached peace to you who are near. You know what the Bible tells us? It doesn't tell us that if you're the right kind of person or you grew up in the right neighborhood or you have the right thinking patterns or you, you live the right life, that then you'll have peace with God. That's not what the Bible tells us. What the Bible tells us is that you will have peace with God if you listen to the message that Jesus Christ is preaching. And the message that he is preaching is a message that says, through faith in him alone can you have peace with your Father in heaven. And this is no worldly sense of peace. This is no momentary peace. This is a peace that goes on for all eternity. This is a peace, a shalom, a rest in the presence of God that we cannot know anywhere else. That inward longing of your soul for something more, that inward longing of your soul where you wake up and say, life must be more than this. That longing for relationship, that longing for approval, that longing... It comes through the peace. And Jesus Christ came and he preached peace to those who were far off. He preached peace to those who were near. This is what verse 18 tells us. It says, through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Through who? Through who? Through Jesus. We both have access in one spirit to our Father. Every single one of us this morning, we can know our Father in heaven. He's a good Father who gives good gifts. And if you've never yet crossed that line in your life, you've never yet had that moment in your life where you said, I'm going to believe in the one who comes preaching peace. You've never had that moment where you've looked upon Jesus and you said, Jesus, save me. Wash my sins away. Make me yours. If you don't know the love of the Father in your life, you can know that love today. 
It's through him, by his spirit, that you come to his father. And his father becomes your father, and you have a father in heaven, and then you have a family here on earth that he gives you. As a matter of fact, if you're here this morning, I'm just so aware that there may be some who have never done that, that I just want you to know that today is a day for you to do that. You don't have to wait. You don't have to talk to someone. You don't have to go home and think about it. Today, in this moment, you could come to Christ and you could say, Jesus, make me yours. And he would make you his. Matter of fact, on the back of your card, there's a box that says, join the family of God. If you've never joined the family of God, if you've never put your faith in Christ, you can do that today. And just under that, there's a box that says, identify with the family. The moment after you come to Christ, Jesus, he doesn't just preach peace to you for a moment. It's not just a momentary decision that he gives to you, but he opens up a whole way of life to you. He opens up a life of walking with him and walking with his family. And what that means is that no one else has authority over you because what this text tells us is that we're members of the household of God. Being members of the household of God means that God's our father. It means that we're under his roof. And uh, I don't know about you, but my dad, you know, he'd say, hey, you're under my roof now. And that kind of means like, straighten up, boy, because you're going to do what I tell you to do. And being under his roof means that we walk in his ways. It means that we walk in what he calls us to walk in. If he says, you're going to be home by this time, then you're home by this time. Why? Because it's under his roof. If he says we live this way, then we live this way. Because we're under his roof and we're part of his household. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. What it means is when your boss comes to you trying to be your authority over how your, your life will be lived, you need to work 80 hours a week. Oh, that means I can't be with my family. You need to do it anyway. Well, who is your ultimate authority? Is it your boss or is it Christ? When someone who's calling you names and telling you who you are and telling you your, all these different things in life, the question comes, who is your real authority? Is it your Father in heaven or is it these people who are speaking to you? Because you're a part of God's household now, which means what he says about you is what's true about you. We're a new community of people on the earth. We're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. What that means is to be a part of the church. I don't need a passport and I don't need even a, a, you know, a, a citizenship card. I've been given my citizenship card at birth because you're born into the family of God. My wife and I, you know, we've talked a lot about would we have uh, children that, you know, we just have ourselves or would we adopt children, uh, you know, in our marriage when we're trying to we want to have kids and all those things. And uh, I was thinking the other day about this, and I was, I was just realizing that actually in Christ we get both. Because when you're born into uh, your natural family, you, it's a real privilege because you have the DNA, and you have the bloodline, and you're of the lineage of that family. But there's something you don't have that an adopted child does have. An adopted child knows that their parents chose them. An adopted child knows that their parents looked at them and said, you're the one that I want. In Christ we get both. We're born of his spirit, we're born of his bloodline, and yet we're also adopted sons and daughters who he's come to, and he's seen us in our filth and in our sin, and he said, you're the one that I want. He chose us. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people of his own possession. And to be a member of the household of God means that our Father in heaven looked on you 
and said, I want you. And then you look around at your brothers and sisters, and it's, you know, it's like a, a natural family. You don't really get to pick who's in the house, but they're just there. And, you know, you might think like, man, I wish my family dressed better. I wish my family was cooler. I wish my family did this. Or why's dad got to be so strict? But hey, it's the family that we got. And he gave it to us, and it's a blessing. And we're brothers and sisters. I mean, in this room right now, you look around, the people in this room, if, if you're a Christ follower, these are your brothers and your sisters. They have the same blood of you. They've been adopted just like you've been adopted. We are the family of God. We're a new community of people on the earth. You know, before we came to Christ, we were strangers and aliens to the things of God. We felt at home with things of the world. But when you come to Christ, you feel at home with God. And you feel strange and like an alien in the world. And that's because we are aliens in the world. The Bible tells us that heaven's our home and that we're just passing through this earth. Yes, we've got ministry to do, we've got work to do, but heaven is our ultimate home with God. This verse also tells us that we're God's people and that we belong to him. You see, verse 20, it says that this church, this household of God is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, at first glance at that, you might think like, what does that mean to be built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets? That really threw me when I first read this because I was thinking like, aren't we built on you, Jesus? Aren't we built on everything that you say? But you see, if you look at it, you understand that the prophets were the men who, who spoke about what Jesus was going to be and what Jesus was going to do. They prophesied, they were predicting, they were getting revelation from God about who this Messiah would be, and they declared it. Like Isaiah saying that he would be crushed for our sins. He would be pierced for our iniquities. Now, did Isaiah have a vision of Jesus on the cross being pierced for our sins? I don't know, but he sure got it right. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came, he was prophesying about what the Messiah would be like. And then the apostles walked this earth with Jesus, and they testified to what he was like. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels that we have, they're testimonies from those four men about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone means that he is the thing the entire house is built upon. And the testimony of these men simply helps us to know who he is. Because here in this church, we look at this book, we open this Bible, and we know this is the truth about our God. And we're wondering to ourselves, what's God like? How does God feel about me? We turn to this book and we know. That's how God is. But we don't just worship him in truth. We also, we also worship him in spirit. We want to know what he's like, not just intellectually and, and, and in the truth, but we want to know what he's like in our own lives. And that comes through being built on Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. What that means is that in my personal life, I have to have intimacy with him. As each individual member, we have to be connected into him, dwelling with him, living with him, enjoying him. And then when we come together, we connect to him and we relate to him and we enjoy him. And we share with one another the revelations that we got in private. We bring them publicly. Oh, you know what I saw in the scriptures the other day? I saw this, this beautiful thing about God. That's what's so beautiful about community group is we come together and we just open the scriptures and we share with one another what God's been doing in our lives and what God's showing us in the word. We're a new community of people on the earth and we belong to God himself. And finally, we're the people 
of God's presence. What this verse tells us is that we're being made into a temple of God, a place where God's presence would dwell by the Spirit. You know, in the beginning, God made Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden and that garden was their home. And yes, this was the home for Adam and Eve, but it was also the home for God himself. You know, God walked in that garden and he talked with Adam and Eve and he was friends with them and he dwelt with them. In the end, the book of Revelation tells us that God will dwell with his people and they will be his people and he shall call him their God. You see, being a people of his presence, being this temple of the Lord, it's our ultimate calling as believers. When, when Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he's talking about you're being built into a house of God, a temple where his presence would dwell, he's talking about our ultimate calling together. Because the temple in the Old Testament was a place where the priest would go and make a sacrifice and your sins would be forgiven. It's a place where you would go in the Old Testament to offer up prayers to God that you would be blessed and that you would have his favor. Well, now the church is the temple of God. The church is the place where his presence dwells. And it's in the church that we encounter him together. But we can't just hear that and say, that's great. I'm glad about that. It's something that we have to fight for. It's something that we have to call upon God to do. We need to be like Moses in Exodus 33:15. God gives this promise to Moses. He says, Moses, my presence will go with you. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you this peace that Jesus came preaching. But Moses didn't just take that as it is. Oh, okay, thanks God. I'm just going to pull up a seat now and kind of chill out. And thanks for letting your presence go with me. No, no, no. Moses, God, he fought God for this. He said, God, he responds to God. He said, God, if your presence won't go with me, don't bring us up out of here. Moses stood on that word from God. He said, God, if your presence doesn't go, I don't want to go either. If your presence doesn't go before me, I don't want to walk in what you have for me. If your presence won't go before me, I know that I can't do what you've called me to do. In the same way as a church, we should be like that. We want to be this kind of a people together who, yes, God has said he's building a temple here. But let's not just hope that it happens. Let's come to God asking and calling upon him that it would happen. That's why we do things like Wednesday morning prayer every single Wednesday here. If you ever want to come in this room right out here, we gather 15 to 20 of us and we just call upon God. We say, God, let this be a place of your presence. God, let this be a place where the lost come in. We'd love to have you there. I know everyone can't make Wednesdays, but that's what we've got going for now. 6.30, 7.30 in the morning if you ever want to come. That's why we have things like the week of prayer this week. Like David was telling us about. This week of prayer, we come together and we call upon him. We're starting this new location in Kirkwood. We're going to gather together this Friday night. We're going to call upon God that this location in Kirkwood and all of our locations would be places filled with his presence. That when people come in and we're praying they would come in, that they would encounter something of heaven and not just a good meeting. I don't want to have just good meetings. I want to have places where his presence dwells. Terry Virgo, who leads the New Frontiers family of churches, he speaks of a local church as a spirit-filled community of believers who are deeply excited about Jesus and determined not only to love the Lord and one another, but also to reach out to the community and win the lost. We're a spirit-filled community of believers. Bill Hybels, who leads the Willow Creek Association of Churches, speaks of a local church as a community of people who are radically devoted to Christ, irrevocably committed to each other, and relentlessly dedicated to reaching those outside of God's family with the gospel of Christ. The church is an unstoppable force for good in the community 
and a testimony to God's unfailing grace. You know, I live with this conviction that the church is the hope of the world. That the church really is Jesus' greatest passion on this earth. That he would build a bride for himself and he would present the church to himself spotless and without blemish. It's something that can fall in and out of a conviction for us. I want to ask you, do you live with that conviction? Do you live with the conviction that the church is to be beautiful to you? That the church is to be have your whole commitment. That you're to give yourself wholeheartedly over to serving her, to blessing her, to growing her, to presenting her to Christ. Beautiful and spotless and without blemish. Or is the church like, you know, down on the priority list pretty low? Because I think you could ask yourself one or two questions and the answer to one would be the answer to the other. Is Jesus high on your priority list? You might say, yeah, he is. Well, then the church would be high on your priority list. Is the church low on your priority list? Yeah, it is. You know, a week of prayer, eh. Community groups, eh. You know, getting in with other believers, eh. Well, maybe Christ is, eh, to you too. Maybe that's the reality. Because he seems to be pretty connected to the church. You know, when Paul is persecuting the church, Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse. Paul's blinded. And you know what Jesus says to him? Paul, why are you persecuting me? Did Paul ever beat up Jesus? No. Who did Paul persecute? He persecuted the church. See, Jesus seems to see himself very connected to the church. In our own hearts, I just wonder if sometimes it doesn't get a little separated. Ah, the church wants me to do this. It might be God wanting you to do that. It's his body. And he calls us to serve it and to bless it and to grow it. Paul describes the church as the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, just like a physical body, the church has many members. So just like my body has a pinky and an arm and toes and legs and a torso, so the church has many members. And we all look different. We all act different. We all have different giftings from above. They said it, it, in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. he says, every gift is given for the common good. That means that if, whether you're a mouth and you speak all the time, whether you're a backbone and you, and you maybe don't even get any, you know, no one knows that you're there. No one sees you. You get no public recognition for what you do. But you're just this support. You're someone who's stable. Someone people can lean on. That every member is given for the common good. That means that our gifts were never given for our blessing or our benefit. Our gifts were given for each other's blessing and each other's benefit. It could be practical gifts. Like maybe you're just like you rock it at Excel spreadsheets. Like you know those formulas. And like you can make it look pretty. And that's a gift. I need people like that in my life. Maybe you have the gift of patience and you just know God's called me to work with kids. Because if you have the gift of patience, God has called you to work with kids. <laughs> Maybe you have the gift of smiling. You're just happy. You should greet and usher because, you know, it, it's hard. If I come up to you and I'm like, hey, could you sit here? You're going to be like, man, he's mean. But some of you guys, you could do it. You know, you'd be like, hey, good to see you. Could you sit right over here? Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. Yes. I would love to sit there. You've been gifted to greet and usher. You're, you're good at that. It could be spiritual gifts, gifts of prophecy. God speaks to you and shows you things. And 
Come up and share that. Don't hold on to it. Don't, don't keep it to yourself in the meeting. You know, I, I know that happens to a lot of us. We'll be singing and worshiping, and God drops something in your mind to share with all of us. And you just keep it to yourself because you think, eh, you know, it's probably not for everyone. I probably shouldn't share it, and they'll probably tell me to sit down. And, you know, it may not be for everyone, and you maybe shouldn't share it, and they may tell you to sit down. But your calling is to be faithful with that. Your calling is to say yes to God. Their calling is to see if it's God speaking to all of us, or if it's maybe God speaking to all of us, and they miss it, or whatever. But their calling is to be faithful to make it fit with what God's speaking to us as a whole. Your calling is to bring it. You see, we've got all these gifts, and we're just called to be faithful with them. God doesn't call us to be impressive. He doesn't call us to do awesome things for him. No, he calls us to be faithful. And he's the one who makes us fruitful. Because if we are faithful, he will make us fruitful. I'm just so, I'm so grateful to be a part of a church community like this where there are men and women who are giving their lives to see the local church extend and grow and reach the nations. I mean, it's just, it's amazing to see men and women literally give dozens of hours Lots of money, lots of time, lots of energy because they're passionate about seeing the local church grow. And it's not surprising to me that because that's happening, God's beginning to use us and and make us have a staggering impact all over this city. I mean, the reason that we're going to Kirkwood is because there's men and women who over the years have said yes to him. Men and women who over the years have invested into this and said, yes, I'm going to give my life that more and more people would come to know Jesus through the local church. And maybe you just feel even as you're sitting there that God's speaking to you. Yeah, I need to give myself to the local church. I need need to commit to the body. I need to contribute what God's given me to the body. There's that communication card on your seat. If you just want to pull that out, you maybe want to just keep it out. Maybe God will put other things on your heart to do. But if there's anything you see there, maybe you need to respond to that. We're a body, we're a family, and we're an army. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus instructs, those who follow him, to go into all the world and make disciples. These verses are what we call the Great Commission because it's Jesus getting his troops together and giving them their mission in life. And it's really our mission in life. I remember the first time uh, I heard this whole Great Commission thing. Someone in church was like, hey, you know the Great Commission? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. And you know, Christians, they think you know your Bible if you're new and you don't know your Bible and it's awkward. It's like, come on, man, like, I don't know where that's at. And, you know, Thessalonians and Thessalonica and, you know, there's just too many to go. You know, it's just like, I, I can't get it. Help them out, you know, show, show them where it's at, show them the verses. It, it really does help. But Jesus gets these guys together and he says, look, this is your mission in life. And when we read that verse, that's our mission in life is to go and make disciples of all nations. There's all this military talk in the New Testament. He says, There's references to fighting the good fight of faith, to wearing the armor of God, to being good soldiers of Christ Jesus. So we're a family. Yes, we're a family. We're also an army, and we're an army that's been sent out by him to fight against spiritual forces of darkness in this world. You know, we're not meant to be the type of like military army that the disciples first thought it was. You know, they looked on a town that was sinning. They said, Jesus, throw down fire from heaven on them. And, you know, Peter's getting his sword out to chop off a dude's ear. And it's like, okay, guys, chill out. That's not what we're here about. And, you know, Paul writes about it. He says, guys, we're not fighting flesh and blood. That's not our battle. We're not here to make some political or military battle against individuals. We're here to make a battle against spiritual forces of darkness 
in the heavenly places, which are waging war on people's souls. So we're fighting battles against spirits of darkness so that people could be set free and brought into this glorious kingdom. But we're not, we could easily go into either ditch. We could go into the ditch of just being the family and we'd be awesome at like barbecues and hangouts and loving each other and caring for each other and making each other meals and going to the hospital and we'd be great at all those things if we were just a family that we would probably be horrible at going to the nations and seeing his glory put on display. If we were just an army, we'd probably be really organized and really efficient, and we'd go, and we'd go, and we'd go. But we would, like, forget that we're actually called to love each other. We might even just forget that God himself loves us. And so it must be both. We must know deeply his love as a family. And we must also know this call to be his army. In Matthew sixteen eighteen, Jesus tells Peter, He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know, this verse allows me to go to sleep at night. That Jesus will build his church. It's not me who builds his church. It's not you who builds his church. He is the one who will build his church. Does he do it through you and I? Yes, he does. Does he invite us in to work with him? Yes, he does. But if I sit on my couch the rest of my life and eat potato chips, he will build his church. If I work my tail off, he will build his church. Really, I'm, he's going to do this irrespective of me. And yet, he calls us into it and he invites us in to participate with him. And the reason that we participate with him is because of this deep, lasting conviction that there's nothing greater we could do with our lives. Your career is not more important than his call to build the church. Our family is not more important than his call to build his church. Will our family be a part of his call to build our church? Absolutely. But his calling and his mission and his provision over our life is always ultimate, what he's called us to do together. I want to leave us with this as the band comes up to close us out and lead us through. I want to leave us with this, that we commit our lives We commit our lives to walking with him. We commit our lives to the one who is the head of the church, to the one who came preaching peace to us. And then in that, we give ourselves over to serving his body and to really walking together, that we would be his family, his body, and his army together.